step out of the house in the morning. The only thing you hear is the ocean wind blowing through the trees, the soft raindrops falling onto the ground, and the calming music in the background that changes based on the weather and the time of the day. You get to choose what you want to do. Catch bugs, go fishing, talk to your neighbors, decorate your island. No pressure, no time limit, just you going about your day, not having to depend on any outside influence. The launch of Animal Crossing New Horizons back in March seemed like a godsend from heaven. After having to postpone the original planned launch of the game, the wait didn't seem to matter all that much anymore when the pandemic hit and most people suddenly had a lot more time on their hands. Mast is a cute animal village game that gives you the possibility to build a town from scratch. It shows its true colors once you take a closer look into the mechanics of the game the not-so-hidden capitalist system that is baked into its gameplay. Seemingly giving us the opportunity to reclaim a sense of power that we have lost during the pandemic, we're still met with ways in which we have to deal with a specific market system in order to progress further in-game and unlock more features necessary for an idyllic island life. Until further notice, here's our podcast. In today's episode, Andre Trehoñ will be analyzing the two video games Death Stranding and Animal Crossing New Horizons through the neoliberalist lens. Alfie Baun The video game is not a text to be read, but a dream to be dreamt. Like a dream, and unlike books and television, a video game is experienced actively, as if each player has a role in determining its events and outcomes. Like a dream, the player experiences desires, anxieties, passions, and effects. In this podcast, I want to specifically ask and very speculatively chart the way those desires, anxieties, and effects get explicated in Death Stranding and Animal Crossing, two very important and two very hugely popular video games that emerged during COVID pandemic. And we've all seen countless of let's plays and images and reviews and essays that sprawled across the whole quarantine and still continue to this day since Death Stranding was released for PC. I think those games are very nice examples of how ideological responses to the current political climate get turned into interactive stories. I'm building on John Bales's book Ideology and the Virtual City. His entry point is neoliberalism. For him, GTA, Watch Dogs, Persona 5, all those games are different ways of relating to neoliberalism and it's very contradictory ways of making us part of its machinery. I'm not sure if it's the right word. Neoliberalism implies something much less spectacular in the very Baudrillardian sense than what Death Stranding or Animal Crossing is probably dealing with. Because if anything, Death Stranding and Animal Crossing are games that deal with the topics such as closeness, alienation, reconnecting, community, 
and all these different ways that go beyond the mere political economy. If uh, Bales is talking about cynical reaction to neoliberalism, I say let's talk about cynical reaction to spectacle. When he's talking about escapism from neoliberalism, I'd say let's talk about escapism from spectacle. And by spectacle, I don't just mean the political economy that is surrounding us. I mean the whole media ecology that's been built upon it. And it doesn't matter here if we talk about it through Guy Debord's Society of Spectacle, if we use Delos Aguatarian becoming cybernetic, or if we deploy Tikkun and their theory of young girl, which is critically examining how media mythologies and social media mythologies ultimately end a sense of self-alienation. And I think this particular moment is super interesting and super exciting as a radical or as a critical point of entry to this whole problematic. Because if quarantine and the social isolation has shown something, it's that it made those relationships, the cybernetized relationships more visible. And a very on-the-surface level critique of Death Stranding and maybe even more Animal Crossing is that these games are about how to find closeness within the world that is unfriendly to intimacy. I think we need a little introduction. Animal Crossing is a game about islands. You own your own island, you populate with your animal friends, you build things upon it, you speculate a little financially with turnips, we'll get to that later. But like the point is that you're just like crafting and building your island and visiting the other islands. Islands of actual players. And it has surged in popularity. I mean, the series has always been popular, but it seems like the COVID situation has seen this like big increase in people who were looking for some kind of cybernetic closeness that was mediated by the game system. I'd call this position escapist optimism, because it is optimistic, but it's also an idealized world. The case of Death Stranding is much more insidious, much more opaque. Death Stranding takes place in a post-apocalyptic USA. You play as a porter, basically an upgraded mailman, and you are connecting human settlements to this chiral network, which is basically an like, upgraded internet. And you are traversing the very hostile environment of the post-apocalyptic US with a very weird, time-dilating S-trains with beings from the world beyond death. And it's all very polluted, very corroded, it's full of drudgery, of every bad thing you could imagine. And I'd call this cynical optimism. Because even though the world of Death Stranding is totally hostile and dangerous, there is still hope to be reconnected. Here we arrive at Elfie Bounds' book I quoted in the beginning that is called PlayStation Dream World. For listeners in Czech Republic and Slovakia, it has been recently translated into Slovak. But Elfie Baun is a very innovative thinker when it comes to critical ways of understanding video games. All too often critical understanding of video games has been about representation, has been about sign deconstruction, what we see in the gender and the political relations of the characters, but only on like the surface level. Baum actually argues that video game is a psychoanalytic theater. Quote, Yet, a video game is not so much the dream of the individual playing, but, like all dreams, is a dream of another. 
A game is a dream of the designers, the writers, the illustrators, as well as the producers, and perhaps more broadly, is even a dream of the culture into which the game arises. When we play, we are not just enjoying ourselves and interpreting the text, we are also actively engaged in a dreamlike state that was carefully designed with perhaps overt, perhaps covert political agendas. And looking that way, both Animal Crossing and Death Stranding start to be super politically charged games that are saying something very interesting about the way we think about closeness in the so-called hypermodern or whatever age. And I think those two games are kind of asking the same question, but with different means. Alphibound goes further. It's not just that we are playing the game and reflecting upon what the game designers and directors built for us. Because what happens inside the game, since it's a dreamlike state, we are unconsciously drawn and unconsciously subjugated to the wishes and desires of the game. It replaces this unconscious efficiency. And here we should introduce another topic that is psychoanalytic, and that's the notion of outside, of the other. We have our subjective us. However hazy and however partially indefensible this might be, we still think about ourselves as I, as myself. And there is the outside, the other, through which I relate. And it's interesting to see what the others are inside Animal Crossing and Death Stranding. Since both games are kind of optimistic in the way that they suppose the human contact, be it through Charlnet or be it through visits to another islands, is possible, then we should think about what is the substrate, the other of these experiences. In the case of Death Stranding, we got death, the other world, the underworld. In the case of Animal Crossing, it's markets. And let's start with that one, because it's probably more uh, clear-cut than it's the Death Stranding example. In Animal Crossing, you get a loan, and you're expected to kind of pay back, and you have bells, the game's currency, and you have turnips, you can speculate on the game market. So, Michael Vervel argued that even though Animal Crossing presents a utopia in a sense, where like everybody's friendly, you can visit everyone, people are connected and being friends, still happens on the background of the economic relations. This is not some communal utopia or like radical closeness, radical openness. Everything in Animal Crossing, or most of the things there, is still mediated by the monetary values and monetary ways of relating to the others. On one way, it could be subverted in a way that the nuke guy, he never asks for the money back. You're not expected to pay back like a normal bank company would expect you to. But still, if we are here to stay with Marx and to maybe quote very uh, cautiously from the Communist Manifesto, and at last a man is forced to see his true relation with the other man, which is to see how marketized the relation has become. Animal Crossing doesn't really let's go all of that. It's still mediated by bells. It's still mediated by, by turnips. It's still mediated by whoever gets the monetary upper hand. It seems like we love to escape to video game worlds. But when we do, we kind of really like to go to the utopian, but still not so post-capitalist or not so radical version of it. 
We have Animal Crossing, but it is still a paradise where market exists. To quote Bound once more, It is because we feel free to allow our thoughts to wander while we are gaming that the game's ideology can be imposed on us. Of course, what we freely think while our minds drift from the drama of gaming is not as free as it may seem, so that we cannot really go where we want psychologically. This is another characteristic shared between video games and dreams, especially in Walter Benjamin's conception of dreams, in which the dreamer's mind wanders as it freely into atmospheres created by politics and radiology. And maybe this is important for Baum, because Baum uses Walter Benjamin, and he uses his works as a way to say, sure, it's all a dream, but please don't forget that dreams have tremendous power and it doesn't matter if you are aware of it or not. There could be subversive moment, but we should be first aware of this way the ideology works before we can actualize the subversive moment in Animal Crossing or any other virtual world because virtually any MMORPG is built on monetary base, still very much subjugated to the real-world economic laws. The case of the Stranding is probably much more interesting, and I'm gonna use the last quote from Bauer. Walter Benjamin described how it felt to enter the arcades, writing that they were a phantasmagoria in which primal history enters the scene in ultramodern get-up, for Benjamin, the arcades were a dream space in which history collapses and which new connections between past, present and future are formed. The arcade, in this sense, is a world of secret affinities. The dream world, whether you enter through your phone, computer, handset, television, headset or goggles, is the modern incantation of this phantasmagoria in which history collapses and new relationships, connections and affinities are formed, often secretly. Death Stranding is a post-apocalyptic game that deals with topics of time, death, human alienation, ecological collapse, radical outside, which is death, and the life beyond death, or rather, unlife beyond death. And in a sense, it is kind of a modern arcade. We've seen essays that are interpreting Death Stranding as a way of approaching modern uh, labor relations, we've seen the essays about how it explicates the alienated life on a spectacular social media. It seems like the Kojima's work has been so popular and so immensely discussed because it captures something about the condition in post-late-late capitalism or whatever. We have an optimistic story about a guy trying to reconnect the disparaged humanity, but he does so on the backdrop of the invading outside. And it doesn't matter if it's the acid rains inside the stranding that make things age faster, or if it's the creatures from beyond that are dragging the dead bodies inside the afterlife. Because all those could might as well be not metaphors. I'm not thinking in metaphors. Maybe clues, affinities that are showing something interesting about the way we are related to each other in our hypermodern world. Death, the distance of death, the desecralization of death, the distance of death that is happening in Yemen, the distance of death that is happening in Syria, the distance of death that is hidden in the COVID-19 charts. The time that is both governed from the future, as Armin Evansian says, 
in the preemptive strikes and algorithmic computation that knows our decisions before we even know them, or time that is still more and more retro. So this is probably why Death Stranding is optimistic, but ultimately perhaps very cynical about our current state of the world. Post apocalypse will definitely not be boring, but it will have to deal with our post-spectacle heritage. And this is the true strength of video games, and this is the true strength of what Animal Crossing and both Death Stranding showed us. How do we react to the current political state? We either try to invent utopias, but we fail to do so because we end up being stuck inside the same social economic relations, or we imagine some kind of post-apocalypse where human connection is still possible, but which is still haunted by the shifts of time, by the shifts of our life world that is happening right now. When we return to the beginning, a video game is not just a text to be read or a dream to be dreamt, but also a detective story to be unraveled to better grasp what is lying in front of us in the present moment. This episode was produced by the studio of New Aesthetic, FAMU. Dramaturgy by Martin Etochny. Editing by Max Veit. Sound design by Daniel Vlček. Our Instagram is taken care of by Zuzana Marketa Matskova, host of the show, Ezra Shimek. Special thanks to Andrei Trhoň. Follow us on Instagram at ufn-podcast.